0: Uh, please join me for a, a brief word of prayer again. Uh, Father, we come to you knowing that we do stand on every promise of your word, uh, that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So we pray that by your spirit you would help us to understand the words of Scripture. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, I would speak clearly, that you would keep me from error, and that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be clear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a, a well-known comedian in the United States by the name of Jerry Seinfeld once joked that if, if aliens, I don't think they exist, but if aliens existed and they were to observe life on Earth, they might come to the conclusion that dogs, not humans, were in charge. And Now, why might they come to that conclusion? It's because of the interaction between dogs and their owners. Uh, owners take their dogs on walks, and who leads the way? It's the dog who's leading the way. When dogs have to stop and go to the bathroom, what do their owners do? They stop and they pick up their poop. Uh, To the outside observer, it looks like dogs are the ones in charge. Uh, Now, obviously, that is a a funny illustration, a humorous illustration, uh, but it illustrates something that we all know to be true about authority. Uh, Authority is, it's the power, it's the right to give orders or enforce obedience. Uh, So the joke is that when an owner takes his dog for a walk, it looks like the dog is the one giving instructions. Hey, take me over there, or I'm taking you over there and pick up my poop. Uh, Well, the truth about, uh, this truth about authority that that this joke illustrates is why, uh, generally speaking, if you were to observe a large group of people for any length of time, you can figure out who is in charge. Who do people seem to listen to? Who do people defer to? Who seems to be giving instructions? So whether it is a, a parent or a boss or, or some other authority figure, it usually does not take long to figure out who is in charge. Uh, so well, if you haven't already, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter four. We're going to be in Luke chapter four verses 31 through 44. Uh, So as we come to this text, if you remember back from last week, we see Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth. He's teaching in the synagogues, and ultimately he is rejected by the people of Nazareth. He's rejected in his hometown. But as we'll see this week, when Jesus comes to Capernaum, another town in Galilee, it does not take long for the people there in Capernaum to recognize that Jesus has authority. Demons obey his voice sickness vanishes at his command, it becomes clear that Jesus' words carry a weight. They carry a, a power, an authority. When he speaks, things happen. And so this authority, this weight that his words carry, they all point to who he is. Uh, so I'm going to start reading in Luke chapter 4, verse 31. Then he, he being Jesus... Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice, Leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, Be silent and come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. Amazement came over them all, and they were saying to one another, and they were saying to one another, what is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. And news about him began to go out to every place in the vicinity. After he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up immediately and began to serve them. When the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. As he laid his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Also demons were coming out of many, shouting and saying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place, but the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, It is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. I just have two points for you to consider from, from the text this afternoon. Two points. The first is Jesus' authority. That is where we'll spend the majority of our time in that point. So Jesus' authority and then the second point is Jesus' mission. So Jesus' authority and Jesus' mission. Uh, and the main idea, I think, what, what Luke wants you to see from this text is that as the Son of God, Jesus possesses all power and authority, and Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus possesses all power and authority, and Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom of God. Uh, so with that, let's begin looking at this first point, Jesus' authority uh, and in these verses, in this text this afternoon, Luke draws our attention to three different expressions or demonstrations of Jesus' authority. Jesus demonstrated an authority in his teaching. Jesus demonstrated an authority over demons. And third, Jesus demonstrated authority over sickness. Uh, so what I really want to do in this, this first point of the sermon is simply walk through these three different expressions of Jesus' authority to, to see what we learn from the text and then how we might apply those things to, to our life. So uh, first, let's take a look at this fact that Je- Jesus demonstrated authority in his teaching. Look again at verses 31 and, and 32 of our text. Uh, then, he, then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. Uh, So as as Jesus comes to Capernaum, as he comes to this town in Galilee, he continues in his work of of teaching, uh, just like he was doing with the the people of Nazareth. Uh, Jesus comes into the synagogue there in, uh, in Capernaum, and he begins to teach. But his teaching seems to be different, a little bit different than what the people were used to, what they had heard before. In fact, if you were to, you don't need to, but if you were to turn over to Mark chapter one, Mark's gospel in a, a parallel account of these same events in Jesus's life, uh, this is what Mark writes. And they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribe. So Mark adds something, that he was teaching as one with authority, but not as the scribe. So he's contrasting the teaching of Jesus with the the teaching of those who would commonly teach, the the normal teachers in the synagogue. And so what was different? Well, as as one scholar put it, uh, the reason for the astonishment was that Jesus taught on the basis of his own authority and not by citing previous scholars as did the other teachers of that day. Uh, so in, in other words, much like I just gave you a quote from someone who has reflected on these verses, and uh, to help us understand the meaning of these verses, the, the scribes or religious leaders of the day would, would quote the scribes that had come before them. They stood on traditions that had been handed down. So, you know, Rabbi Jonathan said this, you know, Rabbi Frank has, has said this. Uh, I mean, I think this makes sense if you've ever written a, a research paper What do you do? You go investigate and you research what others have said and what has been learned before. You cite their works in your papers to help bolster your own conclusions or give support and evidence to your own conclusions. But this is not what Jesus did. In in contrast to the religious leaders of the day, Jesus stood on his own authority. He acts something like the the expert scholar who everybody else cites or uh, puts in their own work to strengthen their conclusions. And so, as the the Son of God, he spoke with an authority directly from God. Jesus spoke with divine authority. So, we we actually get a, a picture of what this looked like in our text for last week, if you remember. Uh, Jesus gets up in the synagogue he reads from the scroll of Isaiah and he simply says that these verses have been fulfilled in your midst and so Jesus in that, that text from last week he claims both an authoritative understanding of the scriptures and then from the scriptures he makes a claim of authority for himself. and so this type of teaching rightly astonishes the crowd. It is something that they have not heard before. It's because Jesus taught with authority. And friends, the the words and teaching of Jesus are no less authoritative today than they were 2,000 years ago in this synagogue in Capernaum. Jesus continues to speak today through the words of the Bible. Christians, as Christians, we believe that the Bible has authority because it contains the words of God. The words of Scripture have been breathed out by God. They are His very words. And therefore, as as Christians who believe in the authority of God's word, we believe that to ignore the words of the Bible or to disobey the instructions that we find in the Bible is really no different than disobeying or ignoring God Himself. So friends, I don't know if you've thought about the Bible in this way, but if you have not, let me encourage you to see that the Bible are the words of God and they carry authority. The Bible is not just a book to turn to for the occasional nugget of wisdom or to learn something about Hebrew poetry. It is not a book to pick and choose the things you like and discard the things that you do not like. It is the revelation of God. The Bible contains the very words of God. And this is why Christians spend so much time laboring to, to understand the words of Scripture and how they might apply to our lives. It's the reason that I can go and find what others have written and preached on texts of Scripture. For, for centuries, Christians have sought to understand the words of Scripture. And that's because Christians are those who are governed by the Word of God. Christians are those who place themselves under the authority of the Word of God. Christians are those who obey what they find written in the Word of God. And so, friends, in light of that, I just want to ask a simple question. Does that describe you? Uh, Is your life governed by the Word of God? Uh, Do you view the Bible as having authority in your life? Do you obey what you find in the Word of God? And Jesus taught with authority, and his words still have authority today. It's not the only authority that, that Jesus demonstrated in this text for today. He also demonstrated an authority over demons. So look again at verse 33 of our text. In the synagogue, there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice. Leave us alone. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, be silent and come out of him. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. Amazement came over them all, and they were saying to one another, what is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. And news about him begin to go out to every place in the vicinity. Uh, so it appears as, as Jesus is teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum that a man with a demon or an unclean spirit stands up in the middle of Jesus' teaching and he interrupts Jesus. It'd be like one of you standing up right now and starting to, to scream something, yelling at me. I would encourage you not to do that if you're tempted to do that. Uh, but that's what happened, right? The, the man stands up uh, and, it, and it seems as if the demon is speaking through this man and, and speaks to Jesus and asks. Jesus to leave him and the man alone. And of course, instead of leaving the man alone, uh, Jesus rebukes the demon. He, he orders the demon to be silent, and he does more than that. He orders the demon to come out of the man, which exact which is exactly what happens. Uh, so I want you to, to notice a couple of things from, from this account. Uh, first, it seems that the demon rightly identifies who Jesus is. He says that he knows who Jesus is, he calls Jesus the Holy One of God which if you rewind and remember way back to when we were in Luke chapter 1, this is very similar to what Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, the messenger of God, calls Jesus when announcing the upcoming birth of Jesus, the virgin birth of Jesus to Mary. And we see down in verse 41 of our text that when Jesus is casting out other demons, they also rightly recognize Jesus. They call him the son of God, which is exactly who he is. Uh, so it seems as the, the demons, we see this in other places of Scripture, they have somewhat of a spiritual or perhaps superna- supernatural knowledge of who Jesus is. They understand who He is and where He's come from. And I think this helps explain why Jesus commands the, the demon, that commands this man to be silent. He gives the same command way down in verse 41 when he's casting out other demons. He rebukes them and commands them to be silent. And so, uh, in verse 41, actually, Luke writes that Jesus would not allow the demons he had cast out to speak because, because they knew he was the Messiah. So, it was because of this knowledge that he commands the demons to be silent. Well, the text doesn't give us the exact reason why that Jesus commands them to be silent because they know him. But I think there's a couple of good possibilities so one, for, for demons to rightly recognize Jesus and, and go talking about this and proclaiming it out loud might serve to discredit Jesus and his message and, and lead people to reject him. Uh, so perhaps they would begin associating Jesus with, with demons or think Jesus was somehow in partnership or in league with demons. Uh, So kind of like the way that if you have a, this may have happened to some of you, if you have a a distant relative who shares your your last name or perhaps shares your your family name, if they were to do something really bad, you don't really want to get associated with them. You don't want to be associated with that name. I mean, nobody wants the last name of Hitler or, or Stalin anymore, so, though Jesus was not in partnership with, with demons, it may have led people to believe that if they were to go around saying these things. It may have served to discredit Jesus, if, if they were going around telling everyone that Jesus was the Messiah and the Son of God, which was the same claim that Jesus himself was making. Another reason is, is maybe similar to the way that Jesus tells many that he heals. Of, of sickness and disease to, to not go and tell what happens is that Jesus simply didn't want to be known primarily as a miracle worker, one who was going to do these miraculous signs. He wanted the, the focus of his ministry to be on the message. He didn't want to stir up the crowds to such a degree that his message was unable to be preached, and he didn't want to give false expectations or false views of who the Messiah was. Well, in, in any event, Jesus does command the demon, both here and the, the demons down in verse 41, to be silent and the demons obey, which is, again, a, a demonstration of Jesus's authority. As the demons obey Jesus and they remain silent, it shows that, that Jesus has the authority to command them. And then in, even, in an even greater display of Jesus's power and authority, he commands the demon to come out See, again, down in verse 41, he commands demons to come out there, and they obey. They come out. They respond to Jesus' words. It's abundantly clear in this text, Luke makes it abundantly clear, that the demons are subject to Jesus' authority. The crowds are amazed at Jesus' message or words. They associate this casting out of demons with the message. They're they're amazed at Jesus' words words. This message that carries such power and authority that even the demons would obey. They see Jesus is no ordinary man. And so, unsurprisingly, as we see in verse 37, news about Jesus begins to travel. And so what should we we learn about this, or from this interaction between Jesus and this man with a demon? I think primarily as uh, what we've already seen, that it is a demonstration of Jesus's power and authority. It points to who he is. Uh, I think second, as, as we've mentioned a couple of times as we've been walking through Luke's gospel, Jesus's power and authority to cast out demons gives legitimacy to his message. It shows that what he is saying is true. Who he is claiming to be is who he actually is. And so we see that we see this in verse 36 of, of our text, actually, as the crowds ask, ask, what is this message that has such power and authority? These are words. These words that Jesus has carry a power and authority. They're worth being listened to. It proves the truth and authority of that which he teaches. Uh, so in, in John's gospel, if you read through the gospel of, of John, Jesus' miracles in that gospel are primarily called signs, They're called signs. And the reason for this, the the reason that that these miracles are called signs in John's gospel is because they point to who he is. They give credence to the fact that he is the Messiah. They're signs of the truthfulness of his message. But perhaps most importantly, what you should see from this interaction between Jesus and the demon is that it is a sign that God's kingdom has come in Christ This is why the demons react to Jesus' presence and his message. This is why the demons and the man asked if Jesus has come to destroy them. As one author put it, the arrival of God's kingdom is considered a challenge to Satan's power and control. The onset or arrival of God's kingdom is considered a challenge to Satan's power and control. So with the the coming of Christ and the inauguration of God's kingdom on earth, the forces of darkness were on the run. What we see in this text, it's what we see throughout the gospel, that the forces of darkness are on the run. They would eventually suffer a fatal blow at the cross and at Jesus' resurrection as Jesus defeats sin and death and the forces of, of darkness. As we saw last week, Jesus had come to conquer to free those held captive in darkness. Jesus had come to set the captives free and the oppressed free and the demons knew it. And so Jesus casting out of a demon was a sign of the power of God's kingdom that had come in Jesus Christ. A kingdom that cannot be shaken, a kingdom that cannot be destroyed. Jesus' Jesus's kingdom or God's kingdom had, was breaking into this world in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus the King had come. I think we don't want to skip over this, skip over this passage in scripture though without mentioning one other thing that is readily apparent from this interaction between Jesus and the man with the demon. And that is the fact that the spiritual realm is real. Demons are real, they exist. In Ephesians, when Paul encourages Christians to put on the armor of God, this is what he writes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. In other words, Paul recognized the reality of the spiritual realm as well. But More importantly than even seeing that the spiritual realm is real in these verses, we should see that Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm. As, as again, one author put it in Ephesians 6, Paul states that Christians have all they need to wage warfare against Satan. Though we have no resources of our own, we have all we need in Christ by virtue of our union with him. It is on the basis of Jesus' work on the cross his resurrection from the dead, that Jesus defeated sin and evil and has given spiritual authority to his church. The same power of the Spirit that strengthened Jesus to resist temptation in the wilderness and empowered his public ministry is at work in each and every person who has been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Christians, as James writes in his epistle, You can resist the devil and he will flee from you. You can resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now this is not an endorsement of some of the wild and outlandish deliverance ministries that are out there. This is not an endorsement of the view of the wild and outlandish view of demons that are out there in the world. I think the picture that is often painted of demons, certainly the pictures painted in many of these deliverance ministries are not the picture that the Bible paints. But Christian, you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. This does not mean that demonic forces can have no influence on Christians. If that was the case, there would be no need for the armor of God. They can deceive, they can tempt to sin. We can give opportunity to the forces of Satan as we sin and do not put on the armor of God. But because of Jesus' authority and victory over Satan, it means that Christians have no need to fear the demonic realm. Christians have no need to fear it. We have Jesus' authoritative words in the Bible, the same words that Jesus quotes to Satan as he is resisting temptation in the wilderness. We have the power of prayer, both our own prayer and the prayers of other brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the power of the Spirit. We have the armor of God. So Christian we should be aware of the reality of the spiritual realm. It is to not be our focus, it should not be our emphasis and it should not be a source of our fear. As James says in his letters, we should resist the devil that he might flee for us, flee from us. We should have a healthy respect for the demonic realm and the spiritual realm, but we do not need to fear. Jesus, our Messiah, has all power and authority. That not the existence of demons is the focus of Luke's text. We are to call people to repent and believe in this Messiah who has all power and authority. So we've seen Jesus teaches with authority. And Jesus has authority over demons. There's one more expression of Jesus' authority that we see in this text, and that is Jesus has authority over sickness. Uh, so look again at verses 38 and 39 of our text. After he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him about her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up immediately and began to serve them. So Jesus leaves the synagogue. He heads to Simon Peter's house, where Simon's mother-in-law is experiencing not just a low-grade fever, but a high fever. And Luke uses an interesting word to describe what Jesus does next. The text says that Jesus rebukes the fever. Now, we don't really think of doctors and nurses rebuking fevers. They may treat fevers, they may help heal illnesses, but they do not rebuke fevers. In fact, if your doctor in the course of his treatment uh, tells you that he is just going to say fever be gone, I would encourage you to run as far away from that doctor as possible. But Luke's word choice here is both accurate and intentional. Jesus rebuked the fever. In other words, in a a similar way to his rebuke of the demons, Jesus commanded the fever to leave Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and it did. This is the same word that Luke uses later in his gospel in Luke 8.24 when he said that Jesus calmed the storm. When he and the disciples were in a boat, he rebuked the wind and the waves. So why that word? Why does does Jesus rebuke the fever? Well, why does Luke say that Jesus rebukes the fever? That's because that word communicates that Jesus has authority. As the creator of the world, and make no mistake, Jesus is the creator of the world. As the creator of the world, Jesus has the power to rebuke sickness, to stop it in his track. He upholds all of creation by the word of his power. He commands the wind and the waves. He has power over demons, and he has a power and authority over sickness. Now, this does not mean, this does not mean Christians will never get sick. This is not what the Bible teaches. But sickness and the sickness of Christians, the COVID pandemic, what cancer, fill in whatever blank you want, what it does mean is that it is not outside of God's control. It is not outside of God's control. There is a day that there will be no more sickness and no more pain and no more death, but that is not in this world. It is in the world to come. It's the promise of the gospel in the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus' authority over sickness and over the demonic realm will be total and complete. Well, it's total and complete now but it will be fully realized at that time. That day is not today. We see in the text that when Jesus rebukes the fever, the healing is so sudden and so complete that Simon Peter's mother-in-law goes from lying down with a high fever to immediately getting up and serving those presents. Again, just drawing attention to the fact of the authoritative words of Jesus. This fever obeyed immediately. Simon Peter's mother-in-law did not go into a two-week recovery. He spoke, and she was fine. She got up and began to serve. And so again, Luke makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is the divine son of God. The Messiah has all power and authority. He teaches with authority. He has authority over demons, and Jesus has authority over sickness. If you have any questions about any of, of those things, I know especially just touching on things like demons and sickness, please feel free to ask me any questions uh, after the service. I'll direct you to Pastor Ben, and he'll be happy to answer any of the questions that you might have. Um, No, seriously, if if you have any questions, uh, please feel free to come up afterwards. And so that's the first point. That's the the longest point of our sermon. Jesus has authority. But second, we see in this text, Jesus's mission. Second point of the sermon, the the shorter point, Jesus's mission. So look again with me at verses 40 through 44 of the text. When the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. As he laid his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Also demons were coming out of many, shouting and saying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place, but the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them it is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of god to the other towns also because i was sent for this purpose and he was preaching in the synagogues of judea well it seems as if the news of jesus had spread so fast and so rapidly that by sunset of the same day that he's teaching in the synagogue that everyone who was sick or had diseases or had demons was coming to jesus to to be healed And in in an even greater display of Jesus's power and authority, he he heals them all. He casts out all demons. What he did for one demon-possessed man in the synagogue and what he did for one woman, Simon's mother-in-law, he now does for many. Uh, Early the next day, Jesus gets up after resting and and heads to a deserted place. Uh, Though he undoubtedly had to be exhausted uh, he gets up early, and as we learn in Mark's account, he goes to a deserted place in order to pray. He knows that, that more than he needs physical rest, he needs fellowship with his heavenly Father. We see Jesus doing this throughout his ministry. But the crowds they don't leave Jesus alone for long. They go looking for him because they want him to perform more miracles. They want him to heal more people. They want him to cast out more demons. They want to see more demonstrations of his power and authority. But what I want to draw your attention to is Jesus' response that we see in verse 43. But he said to them, it is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also because I was sent for this purpose. Jesus said it was necessary for him to go preach to the other towns, to proclaim the good news about the kingdom to other towns. Why? Why? Well, as Jesus said, because I was sent for this purpose. This is what the Father had sent him to do. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. As one pastor put it, the miracles only verified the authority and truthfulness of his message. But there was no salvation in the miracles. The salvation was in believing the preaching. Believing the preaching. And Jesus came not to provide physical healing alone, though he certainly performs many physical miracles. But Jesus came to provide spiritual healing. He came to rescue men and women from their bondage to sin. He came to reconcile man with God. And Jesus did this by dying on the cross and paying the just penalty for sin that each and every one of you deserve. So when Jesus said he came to preach, he was saying that his mission was to call people to look to him to announce that God's savior had arrived and call people to faith. Faith comes from what is heard and what is heard comes through the message about Christ, Romans 10, 17. This is why Jesus came to preach. So friends, if, if you are here this afternoon and, and you were not a Christian, you know yourself not to be a Christian, I want you to know that Jesus is calling you to place your faith in him know that that spiritual healing, that rescue from your bondage to sin, that peace with God can only come through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, the one who has all power and authority. And so I, I hope this afternoon that from this text you have been amazed at Jesus's power and authority, that you have been amazed like the people who saw it that day were amazed at Jesus's power and authority. But I also want you to know that this power and authority that Jesus has is not just like a general thing. It's not just something like, oh, isn't that kind of cool? Uh, Jesus does not just have authority over demons and sickness. He has authority over you. He created you. Now, you may not recognize that authority. and, And in fact, if you're not a Christian, you do not recognize that authority. But that does not make it any less real. To become a Christian is to recognize the authority of Jesus. That's what it means to confess that Jesus is Lord. It's to confess that, Jesus, you are in control of all things, and you are in control of me. You made me. I will follow you. The Bible teaches that one day Jesus will return in glory, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're actually going to sing about that in just a moment. There will be a day, in other words, in which no one will be able to deny the authority of Jesus. But salvation in eternal life is only those who confess that Jesus is Lord in this life. Like we saw last week, now is the day of salvation. So if you are not a Christian, I urge you to repent and place your faith in Jesus today. And brothers and sisters, those of you who who are Christians, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, the fact that Jesus came to to preach is why the church corporately and and even Christians individually are called to proclaim or to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I hope even as I say that, you have the words of the Great Commission echoing in your heads. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And Jesus' famous last words to his disciples before he ascends back to heaven. And brothers and sisters, this is why week in and week out, the church gathers to hear God's word preached, to hear the gospel preached. It's why the church gathers to hear from God's word when scriptures are read and why we sing songs that speak doctrinal truths. We sing gospel-centered songs. The mission of the church is commanded by Jesus and modeled after the ministry of Jesus. The mission of the church is to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's to carry on Jesus's earthly ministry in his absence. The church does this in the prayerful expectation that God will work through his word to release the captive, to give sight to the blind, and set free the oppressed. It's the prayerful expectation that sinners will repent and turn to him that the lost will be saved and christians it is not just the church corporately that does this you as an individual have been given the task to model the ministry of jesus and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of god the good news of the gospel and i hope you see from this text and from jesus's proclamation of his mission that this requires words it is a, a wonderful thing to show the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ to others. We are commanded to do that as Christians, but the gospel is a message. Faith comes from hearing. Proclaiming the good news requires your words. I mean, notice in our verses for this week just how much focus is on Jesus's words. He teaches, he rebukes the demons and he rebukes sickness with his words. People are amazed at his words that could carry such power and authority. Jesus says his mission is to preach, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. The ministry of Christians is a ministry not just of deed, it is a ministry of word. But brothers and sisters, as I, as I close, let me leave you with encouragement in your task of gospel proclamation. When I quoted the Great Commission just a, a couple mo- moments ago, uh, the astute among you may have recognized that I left a little bit out. Immediately before Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples, in the, in the verse immediately prior to those verses I just read, this is what Jesus says. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, always the end of the age. And Christians, you can proclaim the gospel in confidence because you go in the name of the one who has all power and authority in heaven and on earth. Authority over Satan and demons, authority over sickness, authority over the wind and the waves. Jesus has all authority. This means that you do not need to fear because everywhere you go, everyone you talk to, everyone you encounter is under the sovereign hand of Jesus Christ. Now, this is not a guarantee that no earthly harm will befall you or befall Christians, but it is a guarantee that nothing is outside of his control. And Jesus gives you the promise that wherever you go, he is with you. I mean, marvel at that statement for a second. The one who has all authority in heaven and on earth promises to be with you always if you are a Christian by his spirit. And because the one with all authority on heaven and on earth is the one who commissions his church and his people to preach the gospel, that means that the task will not fail. Yes, Christians may be persecuted. People may not believe. We hope Emmanuel Church of Fujera will be here for decades and centuries to come. But that may not happen, but no, but no matter what may happen to any individual or in any specific location, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ, because the head of the church, who is Jesus Christ, is the one who has been given all authority in, in heaven and on earth and is presently ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father. So Christians, do not fear. Your Savior has all authority in heaven and earth. He cast out demons. He healed sickness. He commands winds and waves. He raised people from the dead. He was raised from the dead, and He will one day return in glory. And that day we'll be freed and we will be restored. So let's just close by marveling and saying, Hallelujah! What a Savior! Let's pray.